Welcome to Singing the Blues. I'm Dom Harrison. And I'm James Marriott. And it's a pleasure to introduce our special guest for this week's podcast. It's Chris Kirkland. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? Yeah, it's very good, thank you. Yeah, just back from a long walk with a dog, so glad to sit down and have a chat for half hour. I, I should point out in Sheffield today, it's done pretty much nothing but rain, so I'm guessing you've got better weather where you are. It's windy, really windy. It's raining this morning, so I got out this afternoon when it stopped, but it's due to start raining again in a bit, so I sort of got in between the rain. But yeah, it's very windy. Fair dues. Um, Chris, It's um, it's been a, a pretty big fortnight for you in terms of obviously you've announced um, your kind of new, new job, your new role. I have to confess, and I wonder if I'm the only person that's done this, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, he's off to Germany. He's got a job at Cologne before I realised that's that's not who it is. Um, so tell us a bit about it. Yeah, it's, uh, no, it's cold and it's about 40 minutes in Lancashire. So obviously I still live in, in Liverpool. Um, Nathan, Gaffer Nathan Rooney, his, his fiance, um, Rianne Roberts Razza was at Liverpool Women's with me. Um, so I got to know Nathan a little bit when he comes to the games and stuff. But he just rang me, well, he texted me actually, uh, saying, can I call you first and foremost? Which I said, yeah, not a problem. You know, you can ring me. So he said, well, when he spoke to me, he said, look, I'm after a goalkeeper coach. He said, I'm not going to insult you and ask you. Um, can you recommend anyone for us? You know, it's uh, building a new stadium. The chairman's got big plans. They want to get promotion. And I said, well, what are you looking for? And he says, well, we need somebody on a Tuesday night and then at the games and possibly maybe on Thursday. I said, well, I said, you know, I said, uh, I'd be interested. He went, you know, and he was a bit, he says, you speak, are you being serious? I said, yeah. I said, listen, I still need my football fix. I, um, I do a lot of stuff for the foundation, but I still need need that football bit and being around lads and, you know, having a laugh and stuff. So he was a little bit gobsmacked at first. And then, and then he said, well, can you come up tomorrow and meet me and the chairman? So I drove up to up to Colne, which is 40 minutes away, and had a good chat. They showed me the plans for the new stadium, showed me the training ground plans, and I just said, yeah, I said, I fancy this if, if you want us, and, and that's how that's how it's sorted out. So I'm looking forward to it. We're meeting tomorrow for the first time, all the staff, now he's got all his staff in place. So we've got a meeting tomorrow morning up at the up at the stadium with the chairman and the gaffer, and everyone, so we're meeting for the first time tomorrow, and hoping to train on the 11th of July. That's when we're hoping to be back. Um, to meet all the lads. So the gaffer's been hard at it. We have the last couple of weeks. We've been making a lot of calls to lads. I've been calling a few people up for him and just trying to get things in place. So we've got a, a very good squad in place at the minute. And uh, we just need a couple more. But yeah, really looking forward to getting going again. Yeah, you've, you've done a few um, coaching roles, Chris. How so keen were you to get back into the coaching side? I It had to be right. I mean, I've had offers to get back into it, but it's got to be... Full time, I can't do full time at the minute because of the stuff I do with the foundation and my academy. Once you go into football full time, you can't do anything else. You know, it's 24 7, as a lot of coaches will tell you. It's very unsustainable as well. You could be in a job for a couple of months and drop everything else and then be out of it. So, this was ideal for me, you know, Tuesday nights up there and, and the odd game. I mean, fully enough, all the away games for 10 minutes, 15 minutes from my house in Liverpool, which is, you know, the Liverpool area. Um, so, the away games are ideal. Obviously, home games are not far away, so it just felt good. I got a good feeling when I spoke to, to Nathan, uh, the gaffer, and I get a good feeling when I speak to the chairman. And like I said, I still need my football fix. And when I'm not working for Liverpool, because I do a lot of stuff for Liverpool on match days, when I'm not doing there, I'll be at the games. But I'll, uh, I'll hopefully be there for quite a few games and really looking forward to it. They've got a good, strong fan base, and you know, I think it, I think it, it's gone down well with quite a few people. What we're trying to do, and uh, yeah, we, we just everyone else so we're just waiting for the go to, to know when we can return to training. Brilliant. Chris, I mean obviously since you kind of stepped back from the playing side of things, um, you've been a huge advocate of, of mental health. Um, I, I've spotted and I'm sure lots of other people have spotted some of the stuff that you've actually been doing through lockdown in terms of um, you know helping people who've been struggling a bit and people who are on their own, um, you know, even kind of you know ringing and doing FaceTime calls and stuff like that with with people. I'm really interested to hear kind of a bit more about that and kind of your reasons as to why um you've 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 done that because it seems like something that's kind of quite unique for someone in your position i was it was about it was about four or five weeks ago it was one sunday and i don't like sundays i never have done for i just they just feel i don't like them because they're so slow and they feel a little bit so i was there sitting there on the one sunday and i was a little bit what can I do this week to pick myself up, to give myself a boost? And I just literally thought, right, well, I want to talk to 
people. I want to see if people are struggling because I was at that time as well with the lockdown, as many people have been. It's, it's been a horrendous time, and, and hopefully one will never go through again. Um, and I just thought talking to people over the phone's okay, but you can't really like we're doing now. We can see each other. I just thought it'd be better to, to be able to see people because you can see expressions. You can you can really see how someone's feeling when you see you see them face to face. Uh, or tweet out saying, look, uh, first of all, for goalkeepers, if any goalkeepers out there of any age want any advice, any questions they want to ask me, um, tweet me to follow you back, and I followed them back, and then they uh, DM me their mobile number. I literally called them up on FaceTime over a, over a few weeks, and it was all sorts of lads, all ages. You know, the youngest was four years old, and the oldest was 61, the 61 year old goalkeeper. Um, who actually lives just down the road from me? And I've been to I've been to meet him for, for a walk, uh, obviously a social distance walk. Um, and he uh, he's, he's a brilliant chap, really nice chap. He's um, yeah, so I've, I've been doing it all, and the questions they ask you are, are fantastic. They're brilliant. Um, some of the youngsters have got some great humour, and, and it really picked me up as well. Really, you know, I look forward to doing it. So I did it for about three or four hours a day uh, for for about three weeks, but. Uh, hundreds of keepers and then I put a message out about people struggling with mental health and when I put that one out I said saying I would call you it just my phone just blew up it was it was it was hard to see in a way because the amount of people that were struggling uh, and, and wanting to talk and asking can I call them um, you know a lot more than I think it, there would have been if we weren't in this situation so I just started calling them again and then some of the calls were hard really tough you know, a lot of different circumstances, um, a lot of difficult calls, difficult, you know, people ringing up with, with real problems that I can help out with certain ones, but the ones that I couldn't really help out with, obviously I've, I've passed them on to, to these uh, charities and, and other services, try to guide them that way sort of thing, because yes, I've got experience with mental health, but obviously people suffer with it for different reasons, and some of the reasons are absolutely horrific. And um, so I've tried to help them and guide them by giving them advice and where to go to and, and people to call on them. But again, it's been great. Like I mentioned the chap Harry, literally just down in Waterloo in Liverpool. And a couple of weeks ago, I, I drove down and, and we walked along the beach, obviously kept a distance from people and just had a chat for a couple of hours. And I want to go down there next week and meet him again. He's, he's on his own. He's stuck in Liverpool. His family's in Spain. He couldn't get back before the lockdown. Um, so he's literally on, on his own in a flat and uh, spoke to him on the phone a few times and I said, oh, I'll come down and meet you. And uh, went down, he was, he was a brilliant chap, really cheer, cheered me up as well, just talking to him, even though he's in a bad situation, he just he just tries to see the positives and the bright side of, of everything. He'll be someone that I, I keep in touch with as well. Now. And that's it, Chris, for you, like, how important is it to try and help people with the, with the experiences and everything that you've gone through? to try and pass on and give advice the way you can it is it is it's part of it's part of therapy for me i suppose as well because it's never going to go away once you have mental health you know you've got to be very lucky for it to just pass and never to have it again i think everyone you know they say one in four which is is rubbish it's more like three or four people will suffer at some stage obviously different different types of, of depression or mental health different stages obviously um so for me it helps me i do a lot of stuff i'm i'm just about to start. It's not official yet, so I probably shouldn't say too much. But it's, I'm just about to start with Liverpool Foundation, um, who do some amazing work in the community. They run 24 different projects, um, eight of them on mental health, particularly. So before the lockdown, it was actually I was going into Old Course Prison in Liverpool with Jane. We were doing a coaching sessions with with inmates in there. Um, obviously, not you know not not murderers or just just lads that had found themselves in prison, just done something stupid and just lost away a little bit. So, we, you know, the, the club runs coaching courses, so we were going in there, and, but unfortunately when COVID happened, we had to stop going in. Um, but they do some incredible stuff, um, you know, during this time in lockdown. We've been doing a lot with the food banks and, and deliveries, and, I mean, they, they, the work they do is just, I mean, I didn't, I had no idea. When I first, how it all started was I went down to a local kick session on a Wednesday. Somebody asked me, saying, look, can you just come down and say hello to some of the lads down there? There was about 150 kids down there, so I went down. And I just thought that was it. I just thought they put sessions on for kids, you know, just a couple of sessions a week. And this is what the foundation did. And it was all based around football. And I had no idea. So I kept going down there and kept going down there, asked a few more questions. And then they got in touch saying, look, do you want, do you want to come in and have a little chat? 
and see what we do at the foundation. We'd love to get you involved. So I went down and met Gemma and, and Katie and Matt Parrish, who heads it all up, and they went through everything. I was there for about four hours, all the different projects they did, and it actually blew me away. And I just said, look, I want to I get involved with this. I want to I help you. You know, I want to join these projects. Can I join you? And, and they said, well, of course you can. And we're just, you know, we're just about to announce it now. And, and I can't wait. So I will, what I'll be doing is I'll be working across all 24 projects, um, going in at different times to different ones and, and helping all across all the projects in Merseyside. So I can't wait for that. Um, you know, it's going to keep me busy, which I want. But also going back to the Colne job, I mean, I do a lot with Liverpool anyway, but I still need that football fix as well. You know, being out on the training pitch and being in the dressing room at half times and at games and stuff. So it's a, it's a real good mix for me at the minute, real good balance. I'd be really interested in your um, perspective on, on, on this, Chris, because um, Dom and I spoke a couple of weeks ago when it was kind of being rumoured about when the, the football season, particularly the championship with, you know, kind of Wednesday at the forefront of our minds, might be returning and obviously mm. players back in training. And there were, um, Wednesday had a, a positive coronavirus um, test result. And we were kind of talking about the fact that it's really easy to sort of forget that footballers are, are people, you know, they have families, they have other stuff that's going on and we just see it as, you know, we need to get football back because everyone needs something to kind of perk them up. So I'm wondering kind of what, what your thoughts are really about um, kind of football and the situation at the moment and whether you could just give us a bit of an insight really as to, um, you know, if, if you were still playing kind of what might be going through your mind or any players that you know kind of, you know, where they're at in terms of, um, you know, how they feel about the fact that, you know, football's coming back at a, a, a pace and at a rate where a lot of people, fans, myself included, are sort of saying it just seems to be moving a bit too fast for my liking. It's a brilliant question and whoever you ask, I think will probably have a different, different, you know, answer. For me, I think it's far too soon. Um, I think it's the uncertainty still, you know, we heard... Obviously, Boris last night, there's still a major, major uncertainty about this COVID-19, if it can strike again, if it can put, you know, come back even stronger in the winter. And there's so many uncertainties. I mean, I, and I totally understand this. And football's been my life since I was, like all of us, a lot of us since I was a kid. And there's nothing more than I'd love to go to Anfield and, and you know, come. I was coming over to the Owls, back to Hillsborough. I was meant to be coming just before the lockdown to come to one of the games and do the half-time draw. And there's nothing more than I'd love to do that um, but I just think that health comes first and family comes first. And I know we need football and, and obviously, you know, but we've got to remember there's people that can't go and do the jobs that have been, you know, furloughed or they've been made redundant. And, you know, football is a huge part of people's lives and we realise that by how much we miss it now. And, and you know, we were very excited, obviously, about it coming back next weekend. But it's, it, it's t- I said this a few weeks ago, I just thought they were, they're trying to rush it for the wrong reasons. And I get that, you know, the football and the BT and Sky are threatening to pull million, hundreds of millions of pounds out that they, you know, they're due for clubs for completing the season. But you think about all the other businesses that are going to go under and all the people that are going to lose their jobs and there's nothing they can do about it. So for me, I think it's far too soon, but I hope everything goes well. I really do. But I think it's, it's, it's going to be a big ask to finish all the games without you know, without something happening, without a player getting it, passing it on. We've seen this, the friendly game in Stoke the other day where they meant to play Man U and just about to kick off and had to call it off last minute. So I'd be amazed if there weren't games called off over the next six weeks. To get all these games, what, 100-odd games in the, in the Premier League and then the Championship, to get all these games over six weeks, go ahead and nothing happen, I think it's impossible. And I just hope it doesn't, um, you know, one of these players doesn't take it home to their family. Uh, obviously a lot of players are concerned from from that point of view the players they will be mightily concerned um, that they're going to catch something and take it back to the families uh, you know we know Troy's come out and said about he's got a, a very vulnerable five month old and totally understand where he's coming from because you have when you put things into perspective like that it's just football your family's are more important than just football football yes these lads are you know we're very privileged they get paid a lot of money 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 doesn't come into it at this stage and that's the thing that really annoys me when you listen to some fans saying well they're getting paid how much they should be playing you know if i was offered how much i'd play for nothing i'd play for that and rubbish money shouldn't come into it this is about people's health and and listen people have how many people have died of this in just in england alone it's 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 one of the most testing times you know we've ever been through and hopefully ever will go through but um, I just hope everything goes well with it when it starts up, but it's 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 too soon for me. 
the other thing as well about this, Chris, too, is the issue right now across football is out of contract players uh, in terms of you know, their contracts are coming to the end at this month. We know that the, the risk is there, like you said, with the Stoke examples. What would you do if, if you were in, in that scenario of where the, the risk of playing, I might say, potentially passing coronavirus on, but then, and also the uncertainty of uh, if you play as an outer contract player, you could pick up a serious injury. And then that could, if you're not going to stay at the club that you're at, and you know that, and this could be your final nine matches, ten matches, or whatever. It seems very uncertain, really, doesn't it? It is, and and I got asked this question the other day, actually, and it made me really think. And I've always been loyal. I've I've always thought you should be loyal, but unfortunately, now in football, loyalty there's no loyalty in football. And people say, "Well, how can you say that?" Well, I was after when I left Sheffield Wednesday in 2015, which I didn't want to do, but I had to for for my own mental health to get back close to home. I was going back to Wigan. And um, Gary Colwell was the manager then, rang me, said, look, will you come back here? And I thought, brilliant, getting back to Wigan, hopefully it'll help me resort, you know, reverse my mental health, get back to there. So I went in there, I turned down other clubs to sign for Wigan. Um, Jonathan Jackson, I did the deal myself. It took about 11 o'clock um, going back to I had, This wasn't sorted before I left Sheffield. I had nothing. When I left Sheffield, I thought, if I don't get anything closer to home, then that will be me done. Um, and when I when I announced that, and a couple of weeks later, Wigan were after a keeper. So Gary Colwell, who I played with at Wigan, uh, I was at Wigan obviously for six years before that. Um, very successful spell with them. I was going back there, and I was in there for my medical. Um, after being at Sheffield Wednesday, and having no issues whatsoever, as you chaps know, I never missed anything at Sheffield Wednesday. The third season I was there, I was on the bench more or less every game when Westy was playing. First two seasons, nothing. And I just got there at the training ground, and, and Jonathan Jackson was there, and I just thought something not quite right here and they made me wait for two days in the changing in the in the canteen and I was like guys what's going on I've got clubs that want me in local clubs Burnley was one of them um are you going to sign me yet yeah, 100% we just need to sort a few bits out we're just waiting for your medical records from Sheffield Wednesday which I knew had already been sent because I spoke to Sheffield Wednesday already so I knew they'd already sent over and I knew it was 97.7% that was my fitness record at Sheffield Wednesday 97% including football matches training everything so I knew there was no issues there. So he kept me waiting. And then Gaz come down on the second day and I said, everything right? He went, yeah. He said, I'm just going out to training with the lads. Wait here for me for an hour and I'll, I'll have a chat with you when I come back. So I thought, all right, I'll, I'll give you this one. So he, he went out, come back in, took me up to his office and said, look, we can't sign you. We're, we're going to fail you on your medical. Which obviously I was in a bad way at the time anyway. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I said, what, what's your reason for that? He says, well, we're not sure you can stay fit. I went, uh, you know, I've just been to Sheffield and played 90 odd games. Nice. What, what, you know, what's going on there? And he just said, look, we can't do it. I said, well, I've turned down clubs now. Then clubs are gone because as we know, once you turn a club down, very rarely they'll still be there for you to sign from again. And uh, so that comes back to the loyalty thing for me. You know, clubs will, will use you if they want you. I've been at Wigan for six years. I was player of the year for how many times? I was captain and I was loyal to them. And I thought going back there would be great, but there's no loyalty in football because if there was, they would have signed me. Again, uh, particularly with the issues that had come out about me needing to get closer to home. But they didn't. They left me high and dry. And, and that's why I can see why some players are look after themselves and, and loyalty. Because if a club doesn't want you, they'll get rid of you. And it doesn't matter how long you've been there or what you've done in the past. You know, they, they will mess you around if they don't want you. Uh, it's unfortunate because, you know, I go back to probably one of the most loyal clubs is Liverpool. I don't think they'd act in that way. Sheffield Wednesday never treated me in that way. You know, I, I, it was so hard to leave Sheffield Wednesday. It was, it was heartbreaking. It really was. It's an amazing club like Liverpool, but unfortunately some clubs are not, are not loyal and I can see why players are saying that they're not going to play. Unfortunately, um, it will give ammunition to people that say uh, already have footballers down as bad people and bad names for footballers because of the money. It's going to give them your, more ammunition to, to fire that at, at them. But, They've got to do what they think's right for the family. Uh, it's, it's just an ugly situation. That's why I come down to it. These times are in with, with COVID. Everything, the rule book out the window. Nobody knows how to... We've never been through this before. Certainly never been through this with, with the season not being finished on time and, and you know, threatening it's never going to get started again for a while. So I just think it's... It, whatever happens, somebody will not be happy and, and whatever decision people make, no, some people won't be happy with it for whatever reason. So, But these footballers, it's a short career. You know... It, well, my point is, if, if these players played and they're out of contract and said, right, I'm not going to sign again for you, 
but I'm going to play these last 10 games for you. I'm going to turn down these other moves. I'm going to stay loyal to you. And they bra- smashed the leg in the eighth game. And, and you know, these moves that they had lined up are gone. Do you think the club then would say, well, you were going to go and sign a five-year deal with this club. We'll give you that five-year deal now. We'll give you the money that you were going to earn. Wouldn't happen. Just wouldn't happen. So, and and that's why these players, are th- and, they, and they have to think that way because it is a short career. It's not nice. You know, I'm, I'm the biggest one for that. I just think loyalty should be in everything people do. Unfortunately, it's not. So it's, it's just a, a nasty situation to be in. Interesting um, hearing you talk there, Chris, about um, leaving Wednesday. It's coming up towards the uh, five-year anniversary of uh, of when you uh, when you left Hillsborough. Now, um, as you look back on on your time with Wednesday, um, what are your kind of memories? What are the high points? What are the low points? Great memories, really. Is. I mean, I said before, if it wasn't for the club and for the fans and the way it was as a club, I'd, I'd you know I'd have left way before I did. You know, I'd have left after the first season. Um, I'd have a chance to leave back for the first season, but because of how much I enjoyed it, I, you know, I wanted to stay. The fans were brilliant. They said, yeah, obviously, the, the history and tradition but between Liverpool and Sheffield Wednesday, obviously not for a nice reason, but, you know, the, the fans obviously have got tremendous respect for each other. And it's just a wonderful place. I loved it in Sheffield. I didn't stay off, I only stayed over for games, obviously, because I commuted. We st- I, You know, we stayed where I was in Liverpool, but it was just one of them places where, uh, the people at the club, you know, Lindsay, the secretary, all the physios, Smudyard, you know, the lads, Ben 10, who's Ben 10's back there now. It was just a brilliant place. The dressing room as well were brilliant. But it was it was just one of them dressing rooms that you're lucky during your career if you have a great dressing room. And I've been lucky because I've had it a few times. Uh, Wigan, the first spell, Preston was a decent one. But Sheffield Wednesday was a brilliant dressing room. Uh, everyone got on great together. And and we, we you know, we, we had a decent team. We were... The first season, obviously, we, we just stayed up. But the, the fans, though, I think, were the biggest thing. I think, and, and one of the biggest things was high um, silver lining. You know, when that was played before games, it just took my breath away every time. And it was hard. It was so hard to leave, but I knew I had to. And, and they had no idea because, obviously, I, I kept things to myself. And I was in the, my training gear when I was going to sign again for the 15-16 season. They agreed a contract while, while we was away during the summer with Stuart. Stuart Gray and I went in the first day pre-season in my training kit having all the tests done but I'd still not find the contract and the contract was upstairs right you've got to go and sign your contract before you start training or you can't let you train so I said okay so I was walking up um, the stairs sat down at the table with the gaffer uh, with the new gaffer then um, Carlos and um, and in my hand and I just froze and I just said look I can't sign I need to get back closer to home um, you know, some, it just didn't let me. My, my hand just wouldn't work, and and Rhodesy was up there as well. Obviously, Andy, who I got very close to, and still am close to him. He was amazing with us at Sheffield Wednesday. You know, we both broke down, and and he knew there was some. He knew there was an issue along the way. You know, he always he never cried too much. He knew there was problems at home. I um, mean, he just you know he, he always was great with us, saying, "Look, you okay? Do you need extra day off?" Or you know, so he knew there was issues, but. He didn't know just how bad they were until that day. And driving away was, I was in tears driving away, like I said, because it was any other club, some clubs you go to and, and it's easy to leave some clubs um, for some lads. But, you know, leaving Sheffield Wednesday was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. And because and I would have stayed there. If everything was good, I'd still, still see myself there now. Um, but obviously things got on top of me and, and, and I wasn't able to do it. But I can't wait to come back, actually, because and like I said, I was going to come back before covid started and and see the fans again and say a proper goodbye because i never got a chance to say goodbye to them so i'm really looking forward to when football's back and fans can get back to the game i can't wait to get back to hillsborough in your first two seasons chris you played regularly you won play of the year in the first season at wednesday and then in 2014 summer Sure, Gray signed Kevin Westwood. How tough was that for you to go from being number one to number two? To be honest, I was relieved, which is bad, um, because towards the end of the second season, 13 14, it was um, towards the end of it, my form dropped a little bit and I couldn't concentrate on games properly. I was, you know, I was, I was just, I couldn't wait for the whistle to go so I could get home um, because I was anxious about being away from home. And, and my form dropped a little bit towards the end of the second season. And um, so the, the thought of being number, I thought, yeah, I can do that. I can be number two. I can train. I can still help the lads. But I didn't have the pressure of having to play at the weekends. And, you know, it's something that you should never say as a footballer. But 
I was at that stage where it was actually a good thing for me because I wouldn't, if, even if I'd have started the season, I, I don't think I would have kept my spot for too long because it was so difficult to concentrate then. Um, and particularly, you know, high pressure games for Sheffield. So it actually worked out better for me um, that Kieran did come in because I didn't have the pressure of playing, um, which is bad to say. No, it makes um, it makes sense. Though. It's it's really interesting to hear you kind of talk about it. You mentioned about how the dressing room was one of the best that you've kind of been in. Who were your kind of close allies back then, and is there anyone that you're still in touch with now? Well, obviously uh, Sam Hutchinson. Uh, obviously, Sam's done a lot as well with the mental health. But he was great. Glenn Lovins, Atty, you know, Koki. We just we just had uh, Lewis Buxton. I could name everyone in that dressing room. I had no problem with anybody, and nobody in that dressing room had a problem with anyone else. Um, yeah, listen, you had your spats sometimes in training, but you know the gaffer let me and a couple of the other lads. You know, Glenn Lovens was brilliant in the dressing room. He kept everything together, and you know, sort of his his left arm sort of thing. So we just we did. We, there was no issues. It was just you know in the mornings, it's just laugh after laugh. Training was competitive in the right way. Sometimes things balled over on the pitch, but as soon as we got back into the training room, it was it was all forgot. And it was just, um, that's again, if the dressing room wasn't as good as it was and I didn't enjoy the dressing room, I'd have left a long time before I did. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've got nothing but respect for everyone. And, the, you know, the physio department there, you know, because every, every club um, in the mornings, the players go into the physio room, even if they're not injured, because that's the place to be. And obviously with Smudger there and Dino before he left and Ben 10, um, you know, I'm in touch with Smudger a lot now. So it was just it was just a, a brilliant place to go into and train. What was it like, Chris, uh, working first of all with with Dave Jones? You know, it was Dave who signed you uh, after the club had got promoted as well. So, and what were the sort of two you know year and a half you had with him? What was he like? What was his managerial style? Uh, well, obviously, you had Stuart Gray with him. So obviously, Stuart did a lot of the stuff anyway. Stuart's a brilliant coach. I mean, when Scott Parker took him back to Fulham, I thought masterstroke because it, you know, I think I think he's for me some some and Stu probably won't like me saying, but some managers are better off staying as coaches. You know, we see it when they've been up before. Sammy Lee did it at Bolton. Some some people are better off as coaches than when they step up to management, and Stuart certainly was with with Dave. Uh, but Dave was just Dave. You know, he, he he didn't say much at times. He mumbled and grumbled at times. Um, you know, had his say, he didn't didn't really get involved too much with training. He was obviously out there all the time, but he didn't take many sessions apart from when he really felt he needed to. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, I was all, always be grateful for him to taking me to, to Sheffield Wednesday. And you know, he didn't promise me the number one shirt when I went there. He said obviously because Steve were there and Weaves said you've got to work for it. And you know, I wasn't guaranteed a spot at all, but everything just clicked when I, you know my first day training. Everything just clicked and. Yeah, we couldn't wait to get started there. You mentioned um, Stuart Gray um, in there. What what was it like? Obviously, you know things changed. Stuart Gray then did make that step up and and became the the manager. Um, he's someone that there's there's always been a big debate among the Wednesday fan base about because I think we all feel that with the resources he had, Stuart Gray probably overachieved um, in his time at um, Wednesday. But you know maybe it wasn't the most kind of you know attractive and fast flowing football that we've ever sort of um, seen. So what what was it kind of like working under him and, and you know what was he like on the on the trading ground great man great man I think you speak to any any of the lads that played with him nobody had an issue with him you could go and see him you could talk to him um, you know and we, we loved playing for him we really did um, he was pretty similar in his style to Brucey when I was at, with uh, Brucey at Wigan you know wanted to have a solid defence and you know, but he wanted he wanted to try and play football, but it was difficult at times on on the Hillsborough pitch, as you know. It was at the best of times, it wasn't a great pitch, which makes things difficult. But yeah, listen, I've got you know I've seen him a few times since, and he was he was a great man, real great man. He was um, kept the lads together, let us deal with it ourselves, stepped in when he needed to, which was very rarely. Um, I remember once I think when he had to step in when when something happened at the training ground, um, and we had to go and get him for it, but. He, he was just, yeah, and as a coach, he, he was brilliant. Like I said before, that's why Scotty Parker's took him to, to Fulham as his, as his coach because he's, he's brilliant and his sessions were great and, yeah, didn't, you know, no issues whatsoever. Do you think he was hard done by, Chris, really? That, as James touched on before, he, he didn't ever have the money, the resources at Wednesday. And then the chairman came in uh, in 2015 
but you know, Carlos took over from Stewart. Do you feel that it was a bit hard done by really not to get a shot? Yeah, I was surprised. I must admit because I thought he'd done well. Um, but it all comes down to what players you can get in and what money you're given. And um, you know, that, and then it, as you said, Carlos come in then. But I thought it was very harsh when he when he did get sacked um, for Carlos. But listen, we spoke about it before. There's no loyalty in football, and when your time's up, your time's up. Um, and and but it, listen, it, it'll always be involved in football. You, you, when you talk to people, Stuart Gray's name up always comes up. You know, because he's, he's got a lot of respect in the game, and rightly so as well. And um, he'll always have that. So he'll always be involved in football because there's a lot of people know just what he's about and what he can bring to a club. Chris, obviously you know, your time at, at Wednesday, um, you you know won countless man of the matches. I think you were player of the, the season as well. Um, and you know there were some some great moments in there. Rightly or wrongly, there probably is one moment that for, for, for most fans kind of stands out and that was the incident against Leeds in, in that Friday night game. When you kind of look back upon that, um, you know, what do you remember about that? How do you feel about that? And, and you know, how, how did that affect you, that incident? It was, I mean, leading up to it, we thought that game, on the, obviously we knew it was on a Friday night, we were just thinking, this is going to be hostile. You know, this is going to be, leading up to the game, we were thinking, mistake straight away it being on a Friday night um, so we, we was wary of the game you know obviously we were made aware how hostile it was going to be Dave was on about it in meetings before it you know don't let the hostility get on top of you try and play your game of football so we were prepared before the game but I don't think we could anyone would be prepared what happened not just when that incident happened but before it the the atmosphere was it was vicious it was uh, it was not good at all it was vile um, and then you know this obviously a second half when I went down and I was in front of the Leeds fans it was just I couldn't wait I, I was thinking I can't wait till the final whistle goes here because some of the insults they were saying I mean before the incident you hear stuff you know there's 6,000 of them and some of the stuff they were shouting was just incredible it was just, I won't repeat some of the stuff they were shouting about me and my family and and stuff like that and it was awful and, uh, and then obviously you know but you've got to try and concentrate on the game we played well we played really well during that game um, you know, we should have won for me. We were one nil up, obviously, and and then they they scored in the what was it seventy seventh minute uh, deflected shot, and and then after the, the rest, after it was a blur. It was you know I was gutted the goal went in because um, I know how important we needed a win, and obviously against Leeds would have given us a huge boost as a club beating the local rivals. And then I was literally I was gutted and my head was on the floor and I was like. You know, right, we've got 30 minutes still. And, and then I've just literally seen, last second, I've just seen a, a, just a figure appear. And I, I just sort of didn't know what it was. It was it just took me by complete surprise. And and obviously, he hit me with the palm of his hand. And I still didn't know really what happened because it happened so quick. And I only literally seen him just as he was a lot of metre away from me. And then it hit me and I fell. And I thought, what the hell's just happened there? And then I noticed chairs getting thrown. And I thought, oh, Jesus. And then you come around then knowing what's happened. And then, as you know, as you all know, it was all just carnage for about 10 minutes after that. You know, the police and everything got involved. And it's just something that you should should never happen in a football game. Um, you know, my wife was there with, with Matt McCann at the game. Um, you know, she was not sure what had happened. I don't think anyone realised what had happened at start until the replays obviously went on. And then we seen what, you know, all hell broke loose then, unfortunately. And... Go, to be honest, after I just wanted, you know, it was tough getting home. It was on a Friday night. We had the the, the gaffer obviously gave us Saturday and Sunday off because we, we were playing on a Wednesday at Blackburn after it. And he just said, look, stay away because he, he knew, he said, listen, it's going to, you know, this press is going to be all over this tomorrow. There's going to be a lot of trouble. Um, we're not sure what's going to happen if, if we're going to get banned with fans in the stadium again. Or so he just said, go away. Don't answer your phone to anyone. Don't do any interviews. Um, obviously, I was with the police for a long time after the game. Um, there was an incident with, with the Leeds dressing room, which I'm sure you know about, with Warnock as well. Um, he said some stuff after, which I didn't, didn't appreciate at all. So I went looking I went looking for him in the changing room and, and it, so it all kicked off in the changing room between the Leeds lot and the Leeds dressing room and, and a few of our lot again. And then I got dragged away by the police and I was with the police for about an hour um, making a statement and stuff like that. Obviously, the owner was with him. Matt McCann, who was media officer at Liverpool at the time. It was actually good he was there because he was out being able to advise me, you know, a, a, along with our people at our club. 
because I don't think anyone knew what what to do or what to say because it it you know something like that was not happened in a long time. So, and then the, the weekend was oh, it was like and and then on the Saturday, obviously my phone was non-stop. I didn't answer it apart from anyone involved at the club. And then I just couldn't wait to get back out there again. I just and then I thought right, I want to get back out there. I want to play a game. And luckily we had a game on the Wednesday at Blackburn, and we were back in training on the Monday and focus was then on that game on, on, on the Wednesday and that's all you can do you, all you can do is you know when you lose you look for the next game to win to give that good feeling back and, and that's what we wanted to do we wanted to go to Blackburn and, and get it out of the way sort of thing get the last game out of your way um, because you're only as good as your last game or you're only you know your memories of your last game are in your head until you play the next game and, and that's what we wanted to do and you know we got uh, I think we drew nil nil was it at Blackburn was it nil nil on the Wednesday? I think so. It was great to keep a clean sheet, and uh, but yeah, it carried on for quite a few weeks after. And, and to be honest, the, the the hardest thing about the whole lot, um, apart from when I got home and then Lucy, my daughter, watched it on the TV, she was obviously very upset. But the, the hardest thing then was going back to Ellen Road three months later. That was that was because we were getting, I was getting death threats leading up to the game. Um, we had to have, which a lot of people don't know. Um, I was getting death threats. My family were as well. Um, they had to put. We stayed in a hotel in Leeds actually the night before a game, which I thought was we, we shouldn't really do that. But we got there was threats made against us at the hotel, so they had to put policemen outside the the uh, the corridor at the hotel. And then at the game, just before just before we went out to to the warm up, the the police come to us in the in a tunnel and said, "Look, we're going to have to put armed police um, next to your goal, both ends, each side of the post." And uh, they told me just as I was going out for me warm up. So uh, it was, to be honest, it was, I just couldn't wait for the game to get off and to get home because it was, it was horrendous. You know, the atmosphere of that game as well. I think we lost 2-1 as well. Um, but that was probably tougher going to Ellen Road after that had happened because the Leeds fans were obviously on their chat side and yeah, having 35,000 Leeds fans shouting at you instead of 6,000 Leeds fans at Hillsborough was... Was certainly more intimidating. That's for sure. Am I right in thinking, Chris, that uh, you, since that happened, that other than Elland Road, that you you refused to go to Leeds uh, yes. as well as the city? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got told to stay out. So threats were made against me that if I ever step foot in Leeds, and uh, you know the wrong people see me, sort of thing. So uh, I was advised by the police as well. Then after them threats, the police told me, "Look, don't don't go to Leeds," and I certainly. Not been back then. I certainly, uh, I certainly won't be um, in the near future. That's for sure. It's astonishing. Um, I mean, there's there's kind of bits of of that um, that that I'd heard and aware of, but you know, kind of hearing you talk about that is, um, it's it's about as far away from what football is supposed to be about as as is possible, really. So, um, just some some awful awful mm. stuff. Then, um, on a, a kind of a happier note, you mentioned about working with um, Andy Rhodes and 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 kind yeah. of how influential he'd been. So, I kind of wanted to probe a little bit more about that and about kind of your relationship with him and just generally who else had kind of been a, a big influence on on your career Chris yeah well, well and Rhodesy first you know he was he, we just clicked he rang me he knew that I'd, my last two years at Wigan I wasn't injured I was not playing I was not preferred um, by Roberto Martinez I had a tough last two years there and he just rang me says look I know what you need you need to get back to a British goalie coach we want you here he says I know the way you work I spoke about you I know the way you want to work and he says I guarantee you I'll get you back to your form and as soon as he said that, I just, you know, obviously when people say nice things about you, you want to do it. And first day I worked with him, he was brilliant, not just with me, but with my family as well. Uh, knew it was tough for me to leave Wigan, knew it was tough for me travelling over. So he just made everything as easy as he could. And he was always there for us. Um, I can't speak highly enough of him. He was always there for us. And, um, you know, during my three years there, if it, again, if it wasn't for him, then, things would have been a lot different and I probably wouldn't have been there. But still keep in touch with him now. I spoke to him the other day, actually. So we're, we're going to meet for a game of golf next week. Um, and he was just, you know, his family as well. He was just amazing with us and uh, very lucky to have him as my goalie coach. Uh, other, the biggest one before that, that, that's really started my career and set my career path was Oggy at Coventry. Stevie Grizzwich. He, um, you know, I used to train with him when I was 15 on a Wednesday night at the training ground while he was first team keeper. And we just, just struck up a bond. I was in awe of him straight away. And, and then obviously when I was in the youth team, I used to watch him train with the first team. I used to sneak over and watch him and just watch the way he was around the place, the way he talked to people. 
and the way he spoke with respect to people. Um, and obviously then he was the hardest working trainer I've ever seen in my life. He was out there first, he was lasting every day and then he was in the gym and, and I thought that's the way you have to be. And, and that's the way I took on, you know, from an early age, I thought this is what I need to do to make it as a footballer. So still speak to Oggy all the time now. You know, when I left Coventry to go to Liverpool, which was hard again because I was playing, I didn't want to move from my, from my home. Uh, but Oggy knew I was a Liverpool fan and he was at the stadium when the bid come in and he come in to me and said, look, we don't want you to go because I know you're a massive Liverpool fan. He says, you, you know, you're too good for Coventry. He says, go up to Liverpool and be, be you know, be England's keeper. And, you know, I still speak to him all the time now and he's, he's, a, he's a special man. So I've been lucky. I've had some brilliant people along the way, um, but he started it. Um, you know, he, he really set me on the path for, for, for a good career. I wanted to also ask you, Chris, about Jordan Rhodes and at Wednesday, it's not gone according to plan for him so far since moving to Hillsborough. Why do you think it hasn't sort of panned out for him when we've seen that he's such a natural goal scorer and he's, he's done the business at Huddersfield Blackburn? Yeah, I'm baffled, I really am, because like you said, his goal record is a joke. Um, you might have to alter the way you play, but you just want him in and around the box. You know, my clone was the same when I was at Liverpool with Michael and he used to get a lot of stick. Well, he don't do anything else. He don't do anything on the pitch. Well, he scores goals. You know, he, Michael could go 88 minutes without touching the ball. He could give every ball away before that, miss everything. And then he'd bang two goals in the last two minutes and win you the game. And, and, but people are always on about with Michael. Um, oh, I never did anything during the game. Don't do anything else. He scores goals. Goals win your games. And I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm baffled. Obviously, I'm, not, and that's not being biased because I, you know, obviously, I spent time with Joey. Lived when I lived in Liverpool. He, he, when I, sorry, when we moved there, he lived hundred yards away from us, and um, just up the road when he was at Blackburn. So, but he, uh, I'm baffled. Yeah, for me, any team. If I was a manager, I would build my team around a, a goal scorer, definitely. And if you have to sacrifice other bits and bobs. Um, then you have to do that, but yeah, he's 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 a natural goal scorer. He just needs to play, and he just needs, to, but he just need you need to play to the way his strengths, and that getting him in around the eighteen yard box, getting him in around the six yard box. You don't want him dropping off on the halfway line or linking up play fifty yards from goal because that's not that's not what he's about. He's about goals, and I'm sure. Listen, I'm sure whether it's you know, hopefully he can get back in at the hours team. Um, He's not there, it'll be somewhere else and he'll be banging in the goals again without a shadow of a doubt. You don't lose that. You never lose that. Goal scorers will always tell you that. You just get a little bit slower sometimes, but you never lose the knack of getting in the right place or putting the ball in the net. We touched earlier on that it's coming up towards five years since you left um, Wednesday and it's certainly been an eventful five years in um, in Sheffield Wednesday land. Um, almost returned to the uh, Premier League, a um, couple of brushes with the, the wrong end of the table and find ourselves in this really weird position now where... Um, third at Christmas and then forms kind of dropped off a cliff, EFL charge hanging over them. What's your kind of take on how things are right now and how things have changed over the last few years at Sheffield Wednesday? Well, listen, they should be in the Premier League without a shadow of doubt. The fan base, everything like that, you talked about the playoff final, which was heartbreaking, you know, and then that knocked the stuffing out of them, I think, for, for the season after. Um, and I just hope they can get back up. I really do because they deserve to, the fans deserve it, the club as a whole, the tradition, everything like that. You know, it's the, the ground is one of the famous old grounds that you go to now where, it's, you know, it's none of these, you see all these major stadiums go up now. For me, the old stadiums will always be the best. And I just hope they can get back up. And I'm sure they will um, at some point. It just needs, the fans just need to stay behind them, which they always will. I'll never be in doubt. The fans will always be there. And I just hope they can, they can get back up. But a lot of things, like you said, a lot of things can happen in clubs, managers go. You know, we all know about the, the, the trouble with the owners and the investment and the, you know, the rights and all that. So there's been a lot of stuff happens, but that happens at a lot of clubs as well. You've just got to knuckle down. The, mo the most important thing is what happens on the, on the training pitch and the pitch on match days. And, and that's what they've got to focus on. Let everything else behind the scenes. Let the people that deal with that. You can't affect, affect things on the pitch and in, in the dressing room. You've got to let the lads get on with it. And uh, I'm sure they'll get up. I pray they get back up. I really to see them back up in the Premier League. What do you think is going to be the key for them, Chris, to be successful in the championship? Is it is it all about consistency for you and stability? Yeah, let, like I said, all the stuff that's going to go that's gone on off the pitch, you, you can't let that affect it on the pitch because that'll get you nowhere at all. So 
let the lads get on with it, let the manager get on with it, you know, back him if he wants to bring players in, you know, back him, let him bring players in. Um, but you've got to purely focus on the football. And, uh, you know, they've been close a couple of times over the last five years, very close, uh, which is agonising. But they'll do it again because they're such a wonderful club. And like I said, the fans, you know, they, they go in their numbers and it just takes, you need luck as well, by the way. You, you need luck as well. We've seen that in the, in the player final. You need to have that luck as well. And I'm sure eventually they'll get back up and I hope it's very soon because I'd love to see them. There's nothing more I'd love actually than to, to go and watch Liverpool play at Hillsborough and, and to see Sheffield Wednesday come to Anfield. Um, and I hope I get to see that in the next couple of years, which would be brilliant. Um, Chris, two things that I want to ask you about um, that I got from um, scouring your Twitter feed earlier on. So one is um, your walk in Kilimanjaro. So to ask you a little bit more about that. And the other is, are you aware that you've actually tweeted more about Take That in the last fortnight mm. than you have about Kilimanjaro? Yeah, I have. And to, yeah, to be honest, I was listening to it on the walk this afternoon as well. I, uh, do you know what? We, I've listened. I love cheesy music. Always have. I'm not going to say sorry for it at all. Love all the old bands. We went to uh, we went to Anfield and watched them take that last year uh, when they played at Anfield, which was just amazing. Jerry Marsden come on at the end and they sang "You'll Never Walk Alone" and it was the best thing I've ever seen in my life. It was just I was in tears. You know, there was how many thousands there? Seventy, eighty thousand there. And he come on it. Nobody knew it was going to happen either. And he come on at the end and sang "You Never Walk Alone" would take that, and it was just the best one of the best days I think I've ever had. Um, so yeah, big take that fan. Uh, Kilimanjaro. No, Mark Crosley actually started off, so we were in contact. Then Dean Windass got involved yeah, with, with the group, and it sort of grew and grew and grew. And we've all had struggles, um, and we all like walking. And and Mark, Mark's Norm's only not done it for too long. Actually, he's only really started over six months of walking. Um, and I've always something I've always done because I've had a dog, obviously, before Sam. We had Max for fourteen years, so it's something I've always done and loved it. And, and we just got talking, and it grew. John Parking come involved, and there's, there's a few. Steve Harris involved with it now, so. And we just thought, what can we do? Um, you know, we want to do, and footballers being footballers, they always aim high. Um, and we just said, right, why don't we you know, climb Kilimanjaro? We talked about Everest, but then we thought, no, we don't, that, that's probably a little bit too far So yet. So why don't we do Kilimanjaro first? So, you know, we talked about it and we said, right, are we going to do it? Because we talked about it for a little bit and we said, right, are we, gonna, are we actually going to do it? And we all agreed. And then we, the ball's right in motion now. So everything's just nearly sorted out. We've agreed. When we're doing it, it's going to be 13th of July next year. So it's all just about to get booked. There's going to be about 25 of us doing it. There's there's a couple of spaces that we're just waiting on people saying yes to. Simon Jordan's doing it from TalkSport. Um, Darren Farley's hopefully doing it from this end. We're still waiting on a few a few ladies to see if they can do it with us as well. And it's something that we're, we, we can't wait for. We have a Zoom meeting every Sunday, every two Sundays just updating about the badges. We've got the, the badges just come out now as well. That's going to be on all the walking gear that we're going to get. You've seen Norm's walking's brilliant. His hats, the caps are coming out. We've actually got an official badge now, which is brilliant. Um, and it's called Watch, which is walking and talking, charity hikes. And it's just blown up. We didn't realise how big it was going to go. And we're hoping to raise, we we're going to do it for mental health charities because this was, we talked about this before COVID. 19 and we we're going to do it for mental health charities but obviously we've all seen what unbelievable job the nhs has done and our close friend who um donna who's the leona's best friend who they grew up from kids she's a matron at a hospital in york and we know what work she's done and all the nhs people so we're going to do it now and we're going to split it between the nhs and, and mental health charity so we, we can't wait we were, we're all out walking obviously training for it. it's a long time away you get a program six months before so the, the company who we're using are the ones that did the Gary Barlow, um, the Comet Relief one. So we're using their same company. So they, they plan it all out for you. Uh, when you get there, all the tents and everything, you know, sleeping out. So, and the actual walk's eight days. So it takes eight days uh, for the route we're going to do to get to the top. Uh, the last two days are meant to be extremely tough. I think the last day then, it's a 14-hour trek you do. But the altitude, obviously, is um, it can affect people. So... Uh, I think the group, we've got someone in the group that did it uh, 10 years ago and I think there was 20 of them and seven didn't make it to the top. They had to turn back. So it's no, it's not going to be easy at all. So we know that um, a few a few of the, the older lads, should have put it, that are not in great shape at the minute that are in the group are uh, panicking a little bit. So they're having to put extra miles in already before we start the programme. But it's something we're all looking forward to. It's give us something as well because a lot of the lads in it are obviously struggle with mental health and 
it's given us all a real focus now and the Zoom meetings are certainly entertaining, especially with Dino on them uh, on Sundays and Parky. So, uh, but again, we look forward to them and yeah, there's going to be loads more updates. The website's just about to get up and running now. Mark's, uh, Norm's just uh, nearly sorted that out. So whenever, whenever any of us on, on, on the walk, the 25 us do anything on our own Twitter, then it goes straight onto this website. So this website's nearly up and running now. Um, we're, we're getting a bank account set up for obviously for when we ask for, uh, you know, donations and stuff for, for NHS and everything like sponsorship. So but we've not been able to get into the bank to sort that out, obviously, with the situation. So that's the only thing left to do now. Near enough, everything else is is ready to go. And how much are you looking to raise, Chris, in total? As much as we can. I mean, we've set it. I mean, we set it low because we didn't want to. Dis- so we set it. I think we're saying a quarter of a million. But we're all doing stuff already. That's like Norm's doing the hats. Parky shaved his head, and he's raised nearly three grand. Norm's raised nearly 10 grand, I think, from the hats. We've got events coming up, golf days in Sheffield, Doncaster. There's a football match at Doncaster. There's comedian nights. So we're hoping to, I've got something happening in Liverpool. So we're hoping to raise as much as we can. And then, listen, I think hopefully, it, you know, we can we can get over that, over 250k. I think we will do. Brilliant. And if anyone does want to find out any more about um, that or, or kind of donate or sponsor or anything like that, how, how is it, how's best to go about well, we doing can't, we're not Obviously, we can't accept any money at the minute. Um, but, you know, that, that'll be sort of January, I would have thought that, when, when it's all, you know, when we're, we're getting close to it. But just keep following me and Norm, at Big Norms on Twitter, my Twitter, at Chris Curtin 43 Parky's Twitter, Dean Windass's Twitter. Just keep following. Then eventually, in the next couple of weeks, there'll be, it'll be called Watch. Watch will be on Twitter. And then there'll be a website as well linked to everything then, to all of us. Um, like I said, anything anyone does, it goes straight onto that. And there'll be all the, all, every information that people need will be on it. Brill, sounds great. Um, Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, great to chat to you. Um, brilliant to kind of reflect on the on the good times and, and obviously some of the more difficult times during your your time at, at Wednesday. As a Wednesday fan, um, you know, as much as you felt you didn't get the chance to say goodbye to us, I think we kind of felt that we didn't get the chance to give you the send-off that, that you deserved after, um, you know, a couple of fantastic seasons at, at Hillsborough. So, you know, thank you for, for, for being such a, a loyal servant to the club in your time that you were there <clears throat> the best of luck with everything else that you um that you do um and um yeah good luck with uh with kilimanjaro I'll keep an eye on the the progress for that thank you yeah and hopefully like i said hopefully before we do that one i'll be back at hillsborough and i can i can say a proper goodbye you know i'll come to one of the games and and that's what i really want to do because like i say it's tough when you get a connection with a club and you leave under difficult circumstances you don't get say chance to say goodbye to people so I can't wait to come back to Hillsborough and uh, hopefully it will be it'll be soon. Brill. Chris, thanks for your time. Chaps, take care.